and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. And this segment of the podcast we call Theology for Everyone. And that is exactly what it's all about. Trying to break down some um, big doctrines from Scripture and bring them down to everyone's level so we can all understand what's going on. We're doing this right now by working our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith. We are almost through it. We are getting really close. And um, today we are starting chapter 25 on the church. So we're talking about the church, the doctrine of the church, and we're going to work our way through at least a couple articles in chapter 25. But on the podcast with me today, gentlemen, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, this is Rob Spexer, Pastor of Discipleship. And Kevin Kinor, Pastoral Assistant. All right. Well, we're going to jump into this this morning. We are, this is the, we are recording this the week after Easter, so all of us are a little slow moving, and uh, <laughs> our brains might be a little fried, so we're not too sure how... Uh, how well this is going to go. Uh, Alex is on vacation. He's the smart one. He's right, the right, idea. right. What, were he, what were we thinking? Yeah, he took vacation. That was smart. The guy that probably did the least this weekend, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The youth pastor. And yet he takes vacation uh, on the week it. after. Smart man. Yep. Okay. So, uh, Kevin, you want to go ahead and uh, read Article 1 for us? You bet. The Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been are, or shall be gathered into one, under Christ the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Okay, so what is the church? We've got um, some some different words in here that we're going to see right away. We have Catholic or universal, and then we've got invisible, um, and that, that, that is a, a metaphor. So let's let's break this down a little bit. The Catholic or Universal Church. So anytime you see the Catholic Church, um, most of our minds immediately go to the what we would call the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And that is not what they mean. They, they are trying to let us know that's not what they mean by adding or Universal Church. So Catholic means universal. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the Catholic, small c, or Universal Church, which is invisible. All right? Now... Rob, what do they mean by that, which is invisible? How is the church invisible? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, the church is invisible in the sense that it's. this is referring to uh, really space and time, meaning uh, that this is a, a reference to not only the church in today's day, of which we could see, we can see people and, and see those who are claiming faith in Christ, but we're talking about those who are uh, of, of previous to us and who will be after us in terms of the, the elect. So that's primarily this, this idea of the invisible. Yeah, so I, I think, I don't know if it's necessarily a helpful metaphor. I think it was back then. The word that I would want to use, is, instead of saying the invisible church, which this word might not be as helpful either because it's a big word, but is the eschatological church. <laughs> so the church from all ages, yeah. you know, from Adam and Eve um, all the way to mm-hmm. the elect in the future, mm-hmm. um, we can't see, and and it's, invisible in the sense, and they're going to, we're going to get into that, because 
some people may look like they're believers, sure, mm-hmm. but they're actually not the elect. They're actually not believers. Right. So they're they're right. fal- false believers or hypocrites, and so they look like they're a part of the body of Christ, and yet and yet they're not. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, um, so yeah, so invisible church or the eschatological church. So the church from God's perspective that mm-hmm. God sees, He knows every single person that that is that is His. Mm-hmm which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect. So there we go. There's that word, the elect. Um, and that's all of God's, God's chosen people that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the elect. Mm-hmm. Under Christ, the head thereof, and then this is some uh, biblical metaphors that the Bible uses, and is the spouse. So, um, you know, talking about the, like the marriage supper of the Lamb, that mm-hmm. Christ is the spouse to the church. The body, another metaphor, that Christ is our head and the church is his body. And the fullness of him mm-hmm. that filleth all in all. Do we have some text for that? Yeah, Colossians mm-hmm. 1.18 to start off. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And I have Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, or sorry, 1, 10, 22 and 23. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, so this is interesting. We probably have just listened to this, accepted it, and moved on and haven't really thought about it. But the church is this eschatological, invisible body of believers from all from eternity past to eternity future, mm-hmm. right? How do you go to that? What do you mean, how do you go to that? What's How do you go to that? Don't we go to church? Oh, Gotcha. Don't we go to church? Yeah, right. <laughs> right? How do you go to that? <laughs> right? So this this that just shows that from our from the everyday person's yeah. perspective, we only think of what we'll later see as kind of the visible church, mm-hmm. right? We only right. we mo- most of our categories of thinking and speaking we're not talking about the church from God's perspective mm-hmm. as a people, as a body, as the elect. Mm-hmm. We think of the church um, a lot of times as a building right. or yeah. as something or as an event or something that we, right. that we go to. Right. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but it's definitely not the fullness of the idea, the biblical idea of, of the church. Mm-hmm. Would you say it's important to teach the difference between the gathering as the body and the gathering as the building? Yes. So you uh, said it's not necessarily bad. I forget which word you use specifically, but should we be, we should be correcting that, right? Yeah, we, we should be t- teaching, especially when we're teaching our children, mm-hmm. we're teaching people that the church isn't, we could say, just a place, yeah. you know, like I'm not going to correct somebody if they say that's a church, that's a church building yeah. or something, you know, like, right, okay, right. yeah, I get what you're saying, um, but that's not the church, yeah. right? And the, the, the church is a people, and mm-hmm. it's important because the church isn't primarily something you go to. Yeah. 
It's something that you belong to, mm-hmm. something that you've been engrafted in. It's something that has to do with an identity mm-hmm. that Christ elected you and chose you before the foundations of the world, and he's regenerated and he's brought you in, and that, that there's a different ontological reality mm-hmm. to that. Like, it's changed my nature, it's changed my being, it's right. changed who I am. Yeah. And going to something does, doesn't change me. You know, the, I think the illustration is like, you know, going to your garage doesn't make you into a car, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but when, and going to church doesn't make you into a Christian. Mm-hmm. But the work of Christ does yeah. make you into a Christian. Yeah. So it changes something mm-hmm. vital mm-hmm. about us. So yeah, I think we need to clarify that. Yeah, and I think it's important too when we're talking about everyday, we're, you know, this podcast about everyday life, mm-hmm. uh, when we understand ourselves within the context of the invisible church that that who we are is been identified as part of the body of Christ, then that means wherever we go, the church goes in one sense. Mm-hmm. And so my, mm-hmm. I, I never leave this identity. I never leave this place in one sense. I never leave the body of Christ to be my own person, to do my own thing. But rather, I'm going as a part of the body of Christ wherever I am. So it should help me in terms of at least uh, moderating or regulating my life to realize I'm not my own. Um, yeah. I am God's and I'm part of his body. And so that should help to, you know, just in my relationship at work, relationships at work, relationships in, you know, on the sports teams that I'm part of, my hobbies, whatever, that I'm there as Christ. And uh, so it's, it's, yeah, I think it's important that we, you know, make a difference between visible and invisible. Yep. Yeah. I agree. All right. Moving on. Uh, article two. Yep. The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all these throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Okay. So now, so the first article, we talked about the invisible church, Mm -hmm. right? Or the, the eschatological church. Now we're talking about the visible church, okay? And this is also Catholic or universal under the gospel. And that, by Catholic, they mean it's all around the globe. It's universal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's, and they kind of clarify, it's not confined to one nation as before under the law. Even though I kind of would like, I'd have some qualms about how they describe that yeah, because- even Israel was meant to be for the nations. And there were people, even in the Old Testament, Job and Melchizedek and these different people that were outside of the nation of Israel that were clearly saved. Mm-hmm. Nineveh, all of Nineveh repented. We don't know how many of those people were right. part of the universal, you know, universal church and, uh, and part, of the, part of the body of Christ, the elect. And so I get what they're saying there, but I, that it, you know, the law was given to Israel, but even there it was... It was for the nations. Yeah, right. It was for the nations. Yeah, so, yeah. so consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion. So everyone who embraces Jesus Christ by faith, mm-hmm. they believe that they're saved by the grace of God through the perfect life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have a text for that? Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Okay. So the visible church is the the, the, the visible uh, professors of faith, right? And that is Catholic. That's the visible church and of their children. What, what text do we have for that one? That is... Um... 1 Corinthians 7, 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. I have a okay. couple more if you want me to. No, that's fine. That, that one works. So um, there's a sanctifying effect mm-hmm. of a godly, Christ-fearing, Christ-loving, Christ-worshipping um, family over their children, that, that the, the covenant includes mm-hmm. their children as well. That's good. And this is something that we get from Reformed theology. We get from the scriptures. Um, you're going to see it uh, taught, you know, kind of in what we would call covenantal, covenantal theology. Um, that, and I think even people that, that fall, they're not covenantal in their understanding, and they're more of like they would lean towards um, they, they would separate the Old Testament and the New Testament quite a bit, and they were more like New Testament people, and they're maybe they're, they're credo-baptist just because they, they look in there, they don't see anybody get, any babies getting baptized. Mm. Yet still, and they believe that their children aren't a part of the church until they confess or profess faith and get baptized, yet they still teach their children to pray, Our Father, mm. who art in heaven. Mm-hmm. So... I don't think they're being consistent there when they do that, because if you believe that your child isn't a part of the kingdom or isn't a part of the covenant community until they profess faith or until they get baptized, then you're teaching your child to lie. You're in, in your worldview, you're, te- you're teaching an unbeliever to pray our father who art in heaven. Well, he ain't your father if you're not a believer. But I think uh, in, in their heart of hearts, yeah. They know that God is gracious and God, and that and the covenant does extend to our children, even if they don't think about it. Very. That's often. funny. I've never thought about that inconsistency, but you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, you know, all, all my friends who are maybe a, a little bit different in terms of not covenantal. Yeah, they're they are teaching their children about Christ. They're teaching them to pr- how to pray. All these things that that is part of what it means to be part of the covenantal family. So uh, yeah, so that's okay. Yep. <laughs> good for them. Yeah, good for good for them. Good for them. Their closet. Covenantal <laughs> theologians there. <clears throat> so, and other children, and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. What text do we have for that one? Isaiah 9, 7. Hmm. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay. So they, he, they here are identifying the kingdom of God with the visible church. So when, when Jesus is teaching us to pray, even in the, in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that is a prayer about the expansion of, it's not just, it's not just the invisible church, it, or not just the visible church, it goes. Well, it comes through the visible church, but it's it's Christ's rule and reign. So the way heaven is ruled 
and Christ is reigning there, mm. and his law is perfect there, and everyone obeys his law and his standards in heaven. And when we're to pray, your kingdom come on earth, that we're asking, we're wanting God's rule and reign through his law to come to this earth. Well, how does that happen? That comes through the body of that that comes through the the visible church mm-hmm. that comes through his people living under his rule and reign here on this planet mm-hmm. right is this uh would this in any way be referenced to when Jesus is well when Peter makes the the confession that that Jesus is the Christ and then he goes on and says I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it would this not be uh, relating to that in the sense that it seems to be saying that if if the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, it seems that the, the church is actually offensively pressing against this defensive, uh, the gates uh, sure. of hell. And so he seems to be saying the same thing here, that, we, that he wants the kingdom, he wants us to be pressing in this world his kingdom ideas, his kingdom truths, uh, and that's going to be pressing against the, those places that the devil has had a stronghold. Um, yeah, the kingdom advancing, yeah. the kingdom of the church militant. Mm-hmm. That's how they yeah, theologians the used to say it: the church yeah, militant, militant, the yeah. church on the move, uh, making converts, making disciples, Christianizing the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're going beyond. I, I think we're going beyond the fact that the church is not just about my my personal spiritual relationship with with God. But it's also about my world becoming more like Christ, more like God's kingdom, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's in G- this is what Jesus said too, and and you know, go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, yeah. right? That's his rule and reign, extending his rule and reign through his law, through his law word, through through everything he taught and everything the Old Testament teaches teaching people to submit more and more and more of their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's ultimately what heaven is. You know, we've, we're fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right. So the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God. What text do we have there? Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Okay. So a spiritual house and the family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Now, this is interesting the way they say that. Um, God has given the church the keys to the kingdom. Um, God has given the church the gospel. The gospel cannot come to the world in any other way, normally, except through his word, his church, his ordinances, mm-hmm. um, Preachers preaching the gospel, Christians sharing the gospel. Now, ordinary, they put the word ordinary in there because God is God. And God can show up in a dream. God could, if God wanted to, he could, um, you know, he could reveal himself directly to an individual. And there are um, hundreds of examples of this in closed countries and Muslim countries of God um, speaking to somebody in a dream and saying, uh, Jesus Christ is my son. Believe him. You know, and people get up and go find a Bible or go find a Christian and, and, they, and they come to faith. Now, 
Scripture itself uh, warns us that if any anyone coming preaching a different gospel, even an angel, that that we should deny him. This this is uh, exactly kind of contrary to Mormonism, mm-hmm. Jehovah's Witness, Latter Day Saints, all this that Joseph Smith claimed that an angel showed up to him and gave him a different gospel or an, or another gospel. Um, scripture condemns that outright. So the normal way, the ordinary way, God, Jesus's body grows, his kingdom advances, the house is built up, is through his church, the, is through his, his children, his kingdom, his body, the visible church. That's the normal way um, the body grows. And, uh, and that's the professing believers that you see all around the world. Mm-hmm. So here in these first two articles, we have the church described in two ways. One, invisible, eschatological, as the elect that God chose from b- before, you know, in eternity past. And it's all, it represents all of his people. And then the second way is the visible church, the people that we see on earth who are gathering together, professing to believe the gospel and confessing that that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. So that's the that's the two um, ways that they're de- describing the church. The church is both visible and invisible. Um, and I think we've already talked a little bit about why it's important to hold both of these things together. And later we're going to see, we're going to learn also, um, and we have to teach our children this and teach people this, that just because um, people are coming to church and they're they're even professing their faith, it doesn't necessarily believe that they are the elect, that they are actually true believers, that many people uh, fall away, uh, that there's many hypocrites, there's many we would call it wolf in sheep clothing. There are many uh, deceivers. The scripture talks about men will rise up even amongst yourself to deceive many, um, that there'll be uh, wolves in, amongst the sheep that, that need to be rebuked, that need to be um, chastised, and that need to be ultimately um, cast out by the elders. That's one of the reasons that we have we have elders. So... Uh, and I think next couple articles that we have. Anything else? Any any other thoughts that you guys have on those those first two articles? It's interesting with this visible church. I'm doing a, studying Psalms, getting prepared for doing some sermons on the Psalms, and Hallelujah that that phrase Hallelujah is actually not used very often in Scripture. You, you would think it would be used quite often, but it's actually only used in the Psalms, and then it's used in in Revelation. But at every time it's used in the Psalms, and it's only at the end of the Psalms where you get more of the the end of Psalms, there's a lot more uh, praising and, and worshiping uh, God, but they're always used in the context of God being king, that he is, he's identified in the Psalms as the, as the one who is sitting on the throne, is the one who is the king of kings and lord of lords, and then they'll, they'll say hallelujah. Hallelujah means, halle means praise, and yah, or hallelujah means praise, yah means huh. Yahweh. Uh, or the covenantal covenantal name. Now, what's interesting about that is that um, when you think about this in terms of God being the the God of gods, the King of kings, uh, Lord of lords, um, that na- that phrase Hallelujah is 
always in every language is never is always hallelujah. Yeah, it's never translated. It's never yeah, it's never translated. It's always hallelujah. So if you wherever country you go to, That's called, all Christians yeah. will say hallelujah. hallelujah. It's like we have one word that expresses we can all it's it, it's it's we can all say the same thing and know exactly what we are all saying, that God is the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, is that, that's called a transliteration? Yeah, transliteration, yep. Yeah, it's the and, only one, only word that's transliteration. Uh, amen. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, I was about to say. Amen. Yeah, I was like, I, I think amen. there's one more. There's one more, amen. Yeah, amen is one more. And I just know this because <laughs> when, I'm preach, when I've been preaching in Kenya, yeah. you know, we'll be, I'll be preaching and then Josh was translating and then when I say hallelujah he says hallelujah yeah. and everybody says hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah. I'm like oh, I know two words you know yeah, exactly. so yeah that's interesting I, I that's awesome do you know why why what why why they transliterated that I and do didn't... not know we, and that is the mystery of it all is that it's the mystery of it is is that it's always used in the context when God is on the throne and he is identified as king king and lord of lords that's what's always used in, the, in that context mm. And for whatever reason, we've always transliterated cool. that one word so that we all have a common, around the world, we have a common word cool. that, ex, that identifies uh, God, Yahweh, as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Well, I bet you we have a listener who knows why we've transliterated oh, I bet that. we do. Please. And so let us know. Yes. Call me, text me, email me at justindeen at sacredcitychurch.com. Uh, we want to know. So if you know, we want to know. Uh, you guys have any questions, let us know. And uh, we love you. We're praying for you. God bless you.